going to be continuing in our study of Ruth. How many of you guys had a chance to read through the book of Ruth already? All right, a few people. Well, it's a familiar enough book. Uh, today we want to just finish out the second half of this story. It's an amazing story. And the title of the message today is A Redeemed Life from Promised Land to Promised Son. And we're going to be looking at more specifically chapters 3 and 4 today. You know, when you read through a book in the Bible and uh, you read through it, oftentimes it's kind of like a letter. And there's a, there are themes and there's principles that are kind of tied through the book. And when you look at Ruth, there are a lot there, but two of the ones that I want to highlight, two principles that I want to highlight in Ruth are these two. The first one is this, that God has a plan even in the darkest hour of struggle. Amen. That God always has a higher plan even in the darkest hour of struggle. That's one of the themes that constantly comes up and is played throughout Ruth. The second is this, is that virtue, righteousness, honesty, and honor are all rewarded. Yeah, it's good. It's not just something you do nice, but there's a reward for being righteous. There's a reward for being virtuous, honest, and honoring. Okay, these, I believe, are high uh, value in God's kingdom. Right, when you go, okay, what, what matters in God's kingdom? These are pretty high, I believe, in what uh, matters in God's kingdom. And I think it's interesting that there's a common theme. I was kind of joking with some of the members earlier. I said, you know, this, there's a common theme of romance and relationship that I get to talk about in the first couple messages here at KCF. I don't know how that happened or why that happened. I just want to be uh, open and honest about the topic. It's probably something I don't like talking about all the time. But we'll, we'll go ahead and look at that. How many of you guys enjoyed uh, the story that I had to share? You got a good laugh on my behalf. Yes. Now you always know me as that guy who messed up and, and, and just had to rely on God's leading. How many of you guys uh, have heard of the story of Ruth before? The, the good parts of Ruth. Yes. All right. You know, before Ruth and Boaz, there was Romeo and Juliet. Before Ruth and Boaz, there was Jack and Rose. I'm Titanic. Right? Before Ruth and Boaz, there was Cinderella and Prince Charming. Right? I wonder why Disney hasn't uh, caught a hold of this and made a, a, a hit movie out of it yet. Anyone know someone named Ruth? You guys know anyone named Ruth? All right, good. Anyone know someone named Boaz? All right. I know a couple of Boazes, and you know, to be honest... That's a really manly name, right? You, you know, last week, Pastor, Pastor Max introduced Boaz as like Santa Claus. Oh. But I, I think Boaz is a pretty manly name. And I, and I just was wondering, I wonder if there's a modern-day Ruth and a Boaz. Would they get together, right? <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think um, when, when you look at the book of Ruth, it's called Ruth, right? The title says Ruth. But the true hero to the story is actually Boaz. And I believe without Boaz, you know what? The book of Ruth probably would not even be canonized, would not be a part of our Bible today. Uh, yeah, last week, Pastor Max did an awesome job teaching through uh, or introducing the characters of Ruth and Naomi. And the big thing was that they were coming from a wasteland, a place that oh, just reminded them of the past and things that were broken. Okay? And, and God was calling them to a promised land. Uh, a land with new hope and new beginnings. And that's always somewhere that I want to go. If I'm in a broken place, I'm going, God, give me the next ticket to 
that promised land or that place of hope. Uh, today we're going to see how God unveils and unwraps and unpackages this beautiful plan of not only a new land, but love and redemption. Okay, it's a bigger story than just getting to a promised land, a, a, a land of new hope and new change. But there's actually going to be a love story and a, a new beginning okay, of redemption. Ruth and Boaz's meeting not only becomes a framework for a feel-good, improbable, romantic love story that stays PG, okay? Uh, but it's also the foreshadowing of the greatest love story to come. And what is that? It's the story of God's redemptive love for the world through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know that Boaz is a glimmer of who Christ is supposed to be? Right? Boaz is a glimmer of who Christ is supposed to be. Let's go ahead and take a, a closer look at the cast in this love story today. Let's start with Ruth. Ruth, as we were taught last week, she's a young widow who everyone feels sorry for. Right? She's, a, she's a character where you're just drawn and you're going, oh, I feel, feel sad for this girl. Right? She's so sweet. She's loyal. Uh, she's willing to be bound to her mother-in-law, Naomi, even unto death. You know, by doing this, she practically gives up any future for herself. She's going, you know what? If I just die a single widow, I'll die with you, my mother-in-law. Okay? It's, it's such a, uh, a close relationship that they have. And I really like it when you can find characters in the Bible that are uh, determined and that are bold. Okay? Here are some of the things that uh, Ruth says and some of the things that are said about Ruth. Okay? When Naomi says, no, Ruth. Go like Oprah. Go, like, go your own way. This is how Ruth responds. She says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if anything separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Okay? And that's amazing. She just said, you know what? She's not going to listen to me. She, this is how determined she is. Okay? May the Lord deal with me ever so severely. That's a very serious uh, statement. Anyone ever say that before? <laughs> Think about it. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if. Okay? We don't want to say that because we've got you know, to be very serious about the things that we commit to. Ruth says this. Ruth is also recognized throughout the land to be a noble and righteous woman. Right? This is an amazing thing for Ruth because she's a foreigner. Okay? And she's new to this land. And yet everyone in the land already knows that she's a righteous woman. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. And that's an awesome thing. She's hardworking. She's committed to supporting her uh, widowed mother-in-law. Chapter 2, verse 7, She went into the field and she worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. This is the type of woman Naomi is, or Ruth is. Right? She's an amazing woman. And one thing to point out here is that the Bible makes no mention about Ruth's physical beauty. Okay? There's nothing that is talked about uh, in the way she looks or her attraction. Okay? Uh, she's not more attractive than any of the other young women who are gleaning the fields or serving. Okay? This love attraction really had nothing to do with what she looked like. And uh, I was reminded of this verse in Proverbs 31, verse 30. It says this, Charm is, what, deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. 
Remember that, ladies. If there's a noble guy that you're interested, charm and beauty, they don't stand a chance against righteousness and holiness. Amen? Amen? <laughs> All right, good. Uh, your Boaz, right, for the ladies, your Boaz will be drawn to you, attracted to the beauty of godliness. And I hope you guys understand that. There's, there's more than meets the eyes. It's not just transformers. More than meets the eyes, right? God looks at the heart. And if there's a Boaz, he's going to be looking at your heart, looking for the things of godliness. Uh, any ladies here this morning who fear the Lord? Okay, two. <laughs> no. All right. Come on, ladies. Any ladies here that fear the Lord? Yeah, I want to tell you this morning, you are beautiful in the Lord. Right? If we go by scripture, you're beautiful. And as Proverbs says, you are worthy to be praised. Amen? Yeah. Ooh, we get, um, so we get that this story is not going to be this typical, romantic, physical type of thing, okay? driven by the lust of the flesh. It's not going to be like that. We understand that there's something more of value and meaning that has brought these two characters together. And maybe it's just me, but I like to watch couples, not in a weird way. Um, I like to admire couples, let me say that, uh, that are well-balanced and and what I mean by that is uh, I like to call couples who are perfectly blended. You know, they're just right for each other. Uh, do you know any couples like that? Do you know any couples that are really wise or that are equally edifying towards one another or that speak and live in accordance to the word of God and that are still madly in love with each other? Do you know any couples like that? You know, I think we have some here at our church. Point them out, right? Yes, it's, it's something that we should celebrate. Right? When we have godly couples that love each other and that want to honor each other and honor God's word. Young people, take before you venture uh, into a worldly approach to romance, learn, observe, take notes uh, from godly couples around you. you know, I think that's one of the benefits of growing up in the church. You, you get a, a representation of what a godly relationship and what godly marriages look like that we can model after, right? All right, did you know that the Bible talks about romance? <clears throat> a lot, actually. There are a lot of themes of romance uh, when you read through the Bible. You ever read Song of Songs? Yes, that's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, the very first verse of Song of Songs is this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Right? That's kind of graphic. <laughs> I have a really funny story to share, but uh, I don't have time in service, so ask me about it after service, okay? I have a really funny story. How, uh, what about Proverbs? Uh, Proverbs is written and it's addressed to the son of Solomon. We all know who Solomon is, right? The wisest king, the wisest person. Uh, and its purpose, the, the reason why he's writing this book of Proverbs is to show that a wise person is prudent and disciplined because, not because they're smart, not because they have a high IQ. No, they're wise uh, because they're, and disciplined because he or she continues to choose wisdom over foolishness okay when you have a choice right you choose the things that are wise over the things that are foolish okay your intellect or your iq does not make you wise right you, you want me to tell you why that does that's that makes sense how many mastermind criminals do we read about right? they're smart guys right but they choose the things of folly and they don't choose wisdom right so it does, it's not dependent on how smart you are no we can be wise in the lord when we choose the things that are pleasing and wise. Right? And God will help us in that. You know, the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, any of you lack wisdom, ask. 
Every day we should say, Lord, give me heaven's wisdom that's greater than the wisdom of the world. It trumps the wisdom of the world. One of the areas we definitely need to be wise in is in romantic relationships. We know a lot of smart people out there that make smart decisions. But when it comes to relationships, we go, huh, how did that happen? That doesn't make any sense. God is so wise in that he teaches us guys about wisdom, an area that we often lack in, by using a topic that we think we know a lot about, women. Okay? God teaches us about the guys, especially about wisdom, using the topic of women. Wisdom throughout Proverbs is personified as a righteous woman. So it helps us to visualize. What is wisdom? It's like a righteous woman. Some of her attributes are this. She is one who is faithful, displays temperance, prepared, prudent. She's trustworthy, respected by all. She's honest, disciplined in skill and speech. Hmm. I think that's what every guy should want, right? All the guys going, yes, that is a, a, a great picture of a wonderful woman. That's the woman that I want. That's the woman that I have, <laughs> All right? Uh, some of the guys here are still kind of confused. Yeah, that's a good list, but what does she look like? Mm. <laughs> Don't be like me. Remember, is she pretty? How, how pretty is she? Okay, Don't be like me. Okay, that's the women of righteousness versus the woman of folly or woman of foolishness. And this is in direct opposite to the woman who's righteous. Guess how she's depicted? She has a long list too. It's even longer, but it's full of junk. Okay, some of the things that describe this woman of folly is a temptress, an adulterer, wicked, lazy, a mouth of death, poison, disgraceful, etc., etc., etc. It just goes down and down and down. This is what you want to avoid, guys. Okay, this is that, all right? So, which do you think the writer of Proverbs is pleading for his son to take? Yeah, woman number one, the wife of noble character. All right, what does any of this have to do with Ruth? Did you know that Ruth is positioned directly after Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible? Did you know that? Right? Proverbs and then Ruth in the Hebrew Bible. You know what the last chapter of Proverbs talks about? Yeah, what we just covered, the noble wife. It's all about the noble wife. It's a very description of the virtuous woman or wife. Boaz, he's also in there too. He's the description of the wise husband who's married to this noble wife. Isn't that amazing that, that it's structured like that? So when you're reading Ruth in the Hebrew Bible, you're going, I know who they're talking about. It's from the last chapter of the noble wife and the wise husband. He acts with respect and dignity even in the most tempting situations. This is what a wise husband is like. And you would probably call this a match made in heaven. This is a perfect match. Ruth is exactly personified as this godly woman. When you start to read Ruth, you go, you know what? That's the woman that was talked about in Proverbs 31. In fact, the very language used to describe the woman is similar. It fits. Okay, Proverbs 31, 31, the last verse of Proverbs says this. Let her works Bring her praise at the gates. Let her works bring her praise at the gates. It literally reads, all the gate of my people knows that you are a woman of worth. Okay, we're going to see later how in Ruth that exact situation happens where Ruth is praised 
her works of praise at the city gates. It's as if, again, the compilers of the Hebrew Bible purposely placed these two together right, to describe a perfect marriage between the virtuous woman and the wise man. Okay, before we get into Boaz, let's look at the role Naomi plays. Remember, Naomi's still there, and she's watching. She's almost like, you know, outside, but she's like, I hope this thing happens. And, okay? She's more important than people realize. We know that Naomi is also a grieving widow. Uh, she has lost her husband. She's lost both of her sons. And, and no woman should have to go through that type of loss. Um, all she has left is noble Ruth, who is going to stick to her side till death. Right? Naomi is the matchmaker. Okay, that's the character she plays in this story. She's a matchmaker. That's really strange for your mother-in-law to be trying to hook you up, isn't it? You guys don't think that's strange? I saw this in a Korean drama recently that I was watching. I was like, that's strange. Okay? Uh, <laughs> that had to be a weird situation for the both of them. Your mother-in-law going, here, look nice. You got to do that. The narrative at the center of the book of Ruth depicts the scheming of Naomi. The mother-in-law is just not going to stand idly by. No, she's going to come up with a master plan, right? She's going to come up with a scheme that tries to set the stage for Ruth to be taken advantage of by Boaz and vice versa for Boaz to take advantage of Ruth. So, you know, she has too much time on her. Naomi's going, okay, if this happened, this happened, this happened. Okay, so she's trying to come up with this scheme. And this doesn't go according to plan. Her, her plan doesn't go the way she thought it through. As you can guess, it, it stays PG when it was schemed to be a rated R type of movie, right? Not appropriate for our kids to be hearing and listening to today. Again, that's not surprising when you have two noble characters that are going to be living in righteousness and faith. Now, Ruth was, I believe, wrongly typecasted to be the seductress. She wasn't that type of girl. And Boaz wasn't given a fair shake when he was only viewed as a sugar daddy. Okay? These values, again, they don't fit these characters. No wonder the plan didn't work. Naomi wants mighty Boaz to take her precious Ruth in his arms and to be happily wedded every after. She's going to try to force the matter. If you read the story, you can picture Ruth kind of hesitant, but she obliges to Naomi's detailed scheme. How many of you guys read chapter 3 and 4, this scheme? Okay, we got a few people. They know what I'm going to talk about. Meanwhile, you know, as you're reading this, all the ladies in here, they're probably going on the inside. They're saying, no, Ruth, girl, don't listen to Naomi. Play hard to get. He's drunk. That's not love. Don't do it, Ruth. Okay, and as the guys are reading, we're going, guys are thinking, Boaz, don't let these gold diggers get you. Don't let them trick you. Wake up, man. Run away, brother. Okay, that's why we're fine. The guys are saying that. Okay, so it's, it's pulling our interest into this story. <laughs> Naomi, she can't sleep that night. And you know what? She can't text Ruth. Ruth, how did it go? Did my plan work? She just had to wait till the morning. Okay? And what happens? All right, what was this crazy scheme of the matchmaker mother-in-law? For those of us that haven't read the story. Okay, this is what Naomi schemed. Number one, Ruth was to adorn herself with perfume, frankincense, myrrh, put on some nice clothes right, from, the, from the field. No, wash up. Look nice, be presentable. She was to hide herself in Boaz's threshing floor and wait until 
he had feasted and he was drunk. So you can see she's all made up and she's hiding. <laughs> hiding for hours and hours, hours, waiting. And then when Boaz had eaten enough and when he had drank enough, and he was like, he fall asleep. She was to be like a ninja, creep over, and position herself at Boaz's feet and wait for him to notice her. Uh, and, then, and then he would really notice her, take the bait, and consummate the marriage. That was a plan. Okay? What if Boaz slept like this? Right? She'd have to like, position herself right at the feet and be like, <clears throat> right? Boaz is like snored, and, and Ruth is there going, I wonder when he's going to notice me. Okay, that was a scheme. And then this is what was supposed to happen. Ruth would win the jackpot. She would be married to this wealthy guy and also have a son. Okay, so this is what Naomi was really wanting. It's not a bad desire. Okay? She meant well, but she schemed. Right? We, we go, that's not a good thing to put Ruth through that and Boaz through that. Now we get to the hero of this story, Boaz, mighty Boaz. We know that he's referred to throughout the story as the kinsman redeemer. How many of you guys have heard that phrase before, the kinsman redeemer? Okay, don't worry. There's a little background to what kinsman redeemer it's supposed to be. Uh, you find predominantly in two passages, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 25. And it's in two parts. The first is this, uh, talking about the property, okay? Uh, verse 48, they retain the right to redemption after they have sold it themselves. One of the relatives may redeem them, an uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in their clan may redeem them. And this is talking about the kinsman redeemer, close of kin, related to buying back uh, the assets, the land, or the property of someone deceased. Okay, so if uncle passed away, you as a nephew, and no one else could redeem that, you would say, you know what, I as a next of kin, to protect the family assets, I will buy that. All right, I have first, I, I can go ahead and purchase that and redeem it. The second part is this, uh, found in Deuteronomy 25. If a brother, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, and his widow must not marry outside of the family, her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Ew. The first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Okay, that's kind of incestuous. It's kind of disgusting when you think about it. But, you know, that was a practice of the day. Okay, so if my brother's getting married, I'd be like, no, don't marry her. <laughs> Thinking about the kids for every dear. All right, so you get the property and you get the offspring. And that was the full responsibility of what a kinsman redeemer was supposed to be. All right. So in that meeting time, we all know that Ruth just stays at his feet, kind of innocent. He goes, daughter, don't be alarmed. Okay, We're not, nothing's going to happen. But she proposes, right? There's an opportunity for them to talk. And she goes, you are the kinsman redeemer. Will you redeem and will you be responsible? And Boaz goes, sure enough, no need to worry. I will redeem all of it, all the parts that need to be redeemed. I'm your kinsman redeemer. Okay, and he does it in the most honorable way. Boaz responds with, I like this grace and chivalry. I, I think that's something that needs to be kind of more expressed in these, these days. Young men, to be chivalrous, right? And, and gentle and kind towards the women in our society. Okay? Uh, Boaz doesn't do it in a cheap way. He doesn't do it in an undignified way or in an unlawful way. He could have. Right? Him as a powerful person of the community, he could have just said, I can have you in a minute. I can just do this. No, but he honors Ruth. Okay? 
The first point is this. Choose to, if you have your bulletin notes, there's a blank. Choose to honor those that God places in your life. Honor those that God places in your life. It's a choice. Choose to honor those that God places in your life. The truth is there's nothing good that comes about from dishonoring someone in your life. That's the truth, right? There's nothing good that comes about when you dishonor somebody. Okay, it's so easy in our society to disrespect, to put down, to ridicule, to mock with those that you don't agree with or even like. But it's a tough choice to honor uh, the same people in spite of your differences. And even if they don't seem like they deserve it, that's a bigger thing. A lot of times we go, that person is only deserving honor if they deserve it. Honoring someone isn't dependent on whether they deserve it or not. Someone once said this, that if you can put on the cloak of humility, honoring those around us becomes an easier task. If you can put on the cloak of humility, honoring those around us becomes a lot easier. Paul reminds the Philippian church of this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, respect, care, honesty, submission, all have a part in how God wants us to give and show honor to the people around us. It's very important, guys. Right? We need to learn that, cultivate that. It's without prejudice. It goes beyond someone's status as well and or condition. Jesus spent uh, time with those that were not honorable. He did. He spent a lot of time with the outcasts. Uh, he spent a lot of time with the marginalized, those who were broken. And God takes it very serious. You know, in, in Israel's history, the nation of Israel, they were judged rather harshly for not honoring the widows and the orphans. Right? These are the people in the community that are the most helpless and defenseless. And God says, you know what? That's not good. That's not good. You need to commit to honoring those that need your help. And we see how Ruth honors Naomi. Right? We've, we've covered that. We see how Boaz, from the very beginning, covers and honors Ruth. And he shows her kindness and compassion, and he's generous towards her. Uh, Ruth, Boaz says this. He says, you know what? I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. Okay? Boaz recognizes the sacrifice and the commitment Ruth has. Uh, and he says to his his uh, managers of the field. Um, as she gets up to glean, Boaz ordered his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't embarrass her. Okay? Don't call her out. Don't rebuke her. Be gentle towards her. And that's another way that he honors Ruth. Okay? Ru- Ru- uh, Boaz, again, he does so many honorable things uh, for the sake of time. I'm just going to skip through that. Okay? And we'll get to our second point here. Choose to wait and receive what God has planned for you. Those two things. Wait and receive what God has planned for you. Don't try to just receive. You got to wait. That's the precursor. Wait and receive what God has for you. Because we have to, as people of faith, believe that God has what's best for us, right? He knows what's best for us. He has, some, he has a, a greater reward than what we want to get by ourselves. This is an invaluable discipline we all need to develop in our spiritual lives learning to wait upon him no matter how long it takes and trusting that God will provide the necessary things and yes, even reward us for waiting, right? Waiting is not just to test our patience, but you know what? God wants to reward 
those who faithfully wait upon him. Impulsiveness, not being patient, not persevering, having a me operating system, right? all these things revolve around immediately fulfilling my needs. These are not in alignment with what God desires for us in the area of waiting and receiving his plan. Okay, it's not in alignment. If you want to talk about being impulsive, uh, not, not being patient, and having a me operating system, try, try coming over to my house. <laughs> I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old that tests the limits of my patience every single day. Right? And I love my kids. I really do. I'm so proud to be their dad. And I'm, I'm so thankful for this time in their early development that I get to spend a lot of time with them. Uh, but a lot of days, you know what? This is how I'm praying. This is, what, this is what it sounds like. Lord, grant me the supernatural strength to see the day when they will uh, learn how to be patient and when they will receive without complaining the things that we try to provide. All right, I pray like that. Oh, God, help me to see the day. 18, 20 years, I don't know. <laughs> Anyone ever watch the show Super Nanny? Okay, just the parents, all right. <laughs> Uh, you watch these, some of these families, and I'm just appalled sometimes going, oh, right? and I'm praying for these families, and I'm watching it. I'm like, Lord, I rebuke that spirit of rebellion and defiance in the home and the kids. It's crazy how these kids and the parents, it's not working. Even the parents are bad. They don't know how to wait. They don't have discipline. Be cautious when you start hearing yourself saying things like this. I just couldn't wait for, or I just had a, Try it my way first. Well, I felt like this was the right thing to do. Be careful when you start hearing yourself say that. Okay? That's not in alignment with what God has for you to wait and to receive the things of, of promise. But we try our best to justify why we couldn't wait and receive on God's timing. And in the long run, it's not going to benefit us. Okay? We have to learn to wait for the right timing and wait for the right way. Uh, of how God wants to unfold this plan. Just think of Naomi. That wasn't the right way. That right, wasn't waiting. She was trying to manipulate and scheme and say, I'm just going to pull these two together. Okay? Like a ninja, you just lay there pretty. It's going to happen. Right? She wasn't waiting on God's plan. Um, you know, Naomi, after her plan falls through, she says to Ruth, so the next morning she goes, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Okay? They're all curious. Is he going to live up to his word? Is Boaz going to do what he said he's going to do, even if you didn't consummate your, merit, your relationship? Okay, so they're all like waiting, waiting for the call. Is he going to call back? Right? Yes, Boaz is going to redeem okay? and be the kinsman redeemer. This was the response to Ruth after her fell, scheme fell through. Sometimes you have to let go and let God. You ever hear that before? Let go. Let God handle the situation. Sometimes we're, we're trying to fix things as it's playing out, and God is going, ah, just get your hands off it. Pray, trust, wait to see that I have a way of figuring this out. Okay? Uh, there was a problem to this kinsman redeemer process. Okay? We all thought it was very simple. Boaz just goes, I do it. I have the resources. I have the heart to do it. Let me redeem it. Before that happens, Boaz is very straightforward in telling Ruth that night, you know what? There is someone who is closer than me 
there is another redeemer who has first dibs. He's actually ahead of me in line. Okay? And if he buys, if he says redeem, then I cannot do it. So here's another kind of, you know, storyline. Okay? What happens? Well, Boaz being the man he is, the very next morning calls a court proceeding, gets the elders of the church, says, hey, let's meet at the courthouse, which is the front of the gate, city gates. And he tells the people that this unnamed kinsman redeemer has an opportunity to redeem uh, the property of Naomi. Okay? And so when he proposes that, the guy, the kinsman redeemer who's unnamed goes, I will redeem it. And everyone's going, ah, you're the man, you're so responsible. And then Boaz goes, not only that, the day that you purchase the property, you will also have to take uh, Malin's wife, Ruth, and fulfill your role as kinsman redeemer. And then you know what this unnamed kinsman redeemer says? Um, I, I don't think I can redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. What does marrying someone have to do with endangering your estate? He's talking about property versus a relationship. Okay? You redeem it. I cannot do it. So he chickens out. Right? He chickens out. And we're all like, man, this is a good thing. His name was not mentioned in the Bible. It's shame. Shame. Be like Boaz. Have some. Oh, right, come. Kinsman Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And Boaz goes, thank you very much. Don't mind if I do. Right? The unnamed Kinsman Redeemer, he goes off. And yeah, Boaz goes, you fool. The prize was not the property. It was the virtuous woman. You missed out. Okay? So Boaz is like, yes. He was probably praying and I don't know. It worked out. Everything worked out according to God's plan. I choose to wait and receive what God has planned for you and do it in an honorable way that's above reproach like Boaz. Okay, the last point here. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He's the righteous one who redeems all things. Okay? Jesus is the one who's greater than Boaz that goes, everything that you need redeeming, come calling on me. I can do it. I'm willing. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, yes, it's in the Bible, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Okay. Everyone is happy. Everyone is going, they're, they're speaking prophetic blessing on Boaz and Ruth. And they're saying, you know, may your offspring be famous in Israel. This is a great thing. Boaz and Ruth are, fi are finally a happy family. Right? We're like, yeah, they're, they're finally a happy family together. But that's not the end. There's more. There's, there's actually much more to their story. They're coming together uh, because we know that Boaz foreshadows Christ. How do we get from Boaz to Christ? A, a redeemer. As a redeemer, Boaz, again, had to fulfill not only buying the property, but taking Ruth as his wife, consummating that marriage, and then producing offspring. Okay? The, the name of the child born to them was Obed. Does that sound familiar? Obed? All right. This was not just any son. Obed was a special son who would pre preserve the royal line. This is how he's going to do it. Obed would become the father to Jesse. Right? We know who Jesse is, some of us. 
Jesse would in turn be father to who? David, King David. So the great King David, um, his line would descend all the way through to the greatest king, King Jesus. Isn't that amazing, that connection? Ruth right, becomes David's grandmother, great-grandmother. You read Matthew chapter 1. Ruth is actually listed in the genealogy. And, you know, women back then were not listed in the genealogy, but Ruth is in there. That's how significant, and that's how God rewards and honors a life of righteousness. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer who redeems all things. I'll read one, one more verse to you guys. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. And I think this speaks about God redeeming all things, and he does it in a very personal way. But when the fullness of time came, God sent for his son, born of a woman under the curse of the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive uh, the adoption as sons, because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. Okay? Therefore, all of us here this morning, we, we are not foreigners. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer the widow or the orphan or the forgotten. Jesus says, I've redeemed all people under the law, under the curse, and I've not just redeemed them, but I've adopted them into the family of God. You've been grafted. Those of us who know the saving grace of Jesus Christ this morning, we are now a part of the family of God. We are, in fact, co-heirs with Christ, who is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Amazing thing. Okay, one of the greatest things that Christ is also going to do is redeem for himself a bride. Did you know that? Who's the bride of Christ? It's the church. It's the person sitting next to you. It's those in the church, the universal church. Jesus Christ is going to come back. Right? His second coming. When the Lord comes back, Jesus Christ is not going only to come to judge the quick and the dead. He's coming for his bride. He's coming for the prize. He's coming for the church. Okay, God's blessing is poured out on the righteous. Um, and it's an amazing thing that God is waiting for us in a, in, in a, in a way. Right? He's waiting for the bride to get ready. And you guys know that there's a, a wedding feast that's going to happen in heaven. Right? Honor those in your life. Choose to wait and receive on the things of God and put hope all your hope in the ultimate kinsman redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. Okay, and I just want to close uh, just with a couple of things, and I'll invite the worship team to come on up. We're talking about the bride of Christ, right? What Ruth was like, what Boaz was like. And there's a, a song that I really like. Uh, it's by Phil Wickham, and, and the song is called You're Beautiful. And there's a verse in there at the end, uh, and, it, and it goes like this. I'll read you the lyrics. It says, When we arrive at eternity's shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more, we'll enter in as the wedding bells ring, your bride will come together and we'll sing, you're beautiful. Okay, Just imagine that. The church, when Christ comes back, we are the bride of Christ. The wedding bells will ring and we'll say, Lord, you're beautiful. The kinsman redeemer has come. Jesus Christ who redeems all things. Okay. God's redemption is greater than our propensity to mess up and ruin things in our life. It's greater than our things of brokenness. And you know, I was just reminded of that, the Nozomi Project. They're taking pieces of broken pottery and they're making it, redeeming it into something beautiful. God loves to do that with our brokenness. He loves to take the broken things of our life
and fashion it and create it. And in his plan, right, create something beautiful. Uh, the prodigal son, you guys know that story. Um, it talks about a son going and the father waiting. To me, that is a very special story because when I refer to that story, I don't refer to that story as the prodigal son. I refer to that story as the redeemed son. Okay? A son who ran from father, ruined his life. Right? It was his own fault. But the father waiting to redeem all those things. Right? That's what Jesus Christ does for us this morning. All the things that are broken, messed up, all the things that are hopeless, all the things that are in the wasteland, God is wanting to redeem and do it his way. Amen? Let us put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you again for revealing, Lord, your heart. God, you woo us. You beckon us to return. Thank you, God, that you go to great measure to help us to realize that our brokenness, our hopelessness, the things that we're ashamed about, that's not going to last forever. God, you're creating something right now, and that's a journey that we take with you. As we trust you, we're saying, God, transform and change the things that I don't like about my life or I don't like about my situation. Transform a, a, a culture of disrespect into a culture of honor. So, Lord, if we're honest this morning, many of us can identify with Ruth. Some of us have looked to other things, other false Boazes in our life. That's not going to really redeem and do much. But God, this morning we say, Lord, you are the true redeemer. You've redeemed us from the curse of sin and death. You've redeemed my future, and you've called me into eternity with you. We are the bride of Christ, church. Lord, we just trust you again. We say thank you, God. We give you our hearts this morning. And we want to respond and say, God, if there's anything that we haven't trusted you with yet, would you do that, Lord?